Today's Ringer NBA show is brought to you by State Farm. During the playoffs, a clutch teammate makes all the difference. With a State Farm agent on your team, you could have someone who comes in clutch when you need it most. So there's been one player in these NBA playoffs who's been particularly clutch. Uh, I would say that's one Damian Lillard. It seems like uh, a shot from 37 feet out to win a game and to say goodbye to the Oklahoma City Thunder and potentially Russ's career as a frontline guy. Uh, I would say that's pretty clutch, wouldn't you, Bill Simmons? What about Paul George? <laughs> I would say He's he hasn't <laughs> not, has not guarding asked. somebody who's red hot from thirty-seven feet on a game winner. Well, if you were to ask Paul George, oh, wait, that wasn't clutch at all. <laughs> you asked him, that was a bad shot. So he did his job. It was not a bad shot when he what was he eight for twelve in the series for thirty plus feet. It wasn't good. Here's an idea. You know he's going to pull up and shoot a three. Don't let him do that, ever. Yeah, when you dribble like five to seven times, just sizing up the defender and the rim. And there's three seconds on the shot clock. Like, earth on the clock. He can see the clock. There's no time left. Wasn't great. But for Damian Lillard, was particularly clutch. Clutch, man. Draft a State Farm agent to your team and save when you combine your home and auto insurance. State Farm, here to help life go right. Unless you're Paul George. Basketball is very good. The Sixers miss Markel Fultz. Russell Westbrook isn't playing hard enough. The Nuggets should play Isaiah Thomas. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier, and we are going to talk about the hoops, some playoff hoops, as we always do at this time. Joining me in the studio, sitting across from me, just ready to rock, it is Chris Ryan. Is two people a group? That's a great question. I, I like, think it is. I think this is more of an intimate conversation. Yeah. We're going to get into some deep stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're almost at round two. Yeah. Believe it or not, we have been trudging through the muck that is the first round of this NBA playoffs. The uh, Shawshank Tunnel of the first round. <laughs> Zach Cram had a story on today uh, on the Ringer uh, on the Ringer.com today about how this has been a historically boring first round. Not necessarily the most boring, but among them. Does that feel like the case? Yeah, too? I think that the Lillard game the other night was amazing on one hand, but it was also a reminder that we hadn't had a lot of moments like that. Now, you don't often get walk-off series-killing <laughs> right. 35-footers, but uh, just even tense, close games or interesting narrative swings. I thought Oakland, Oklahoma, uh, Portland pretty much had it all. Um, even though it was a a four one, it was essentially a gentleman's sweep, you know. But right. they, I, I thought that generally, like, uh, it's been a, a pretty drab first round. If you get a lot of day games, you get a lot of like, you know, oh, this is actually over. We're just playing out the string series. So it's not that surprising. Yeah, we had two sweeps. I think we had a few more gentleman sweeps, and those we thought were going to be really interesting. When Orlando wins Game One in Toronto, all of a sudden you wonder if the Raptors are on tilt. Apparently not, because they did just crushed the Magic in those four games. A few more of those happened. Brooklyn in that last game barely showed up. Yeah, which didn't help. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Round Two uh, on the back end here. We might get into a little Ru- Russell Westbrook conversation. Please. God forbid we go a day without talking about our guy. Although I will say, if we're talking about storylines, probably the most interesting one to come out of round two, considering, or round one, excuse me, uh, considering where he is at his career. Uh, But let's talk about the two series that are still going on right now. Unbelievably. (laughs) (laughs) This one in particular, uh, the Warriors are in LA back again for game six. Uh, They dropped game five in Oracle. Uh That is the second time they've lost at home in this series against the LA Clippers uh, that so overall since the KD in the KD era they have lost three times at Oracle two of them come in this series that is not good and as we have been like wringing our hands throughout this entire season about whether or not this is the end of the Warriors dynasty I think those questions are particularly uh, uh, relevant and worth asking now so I guess let's start here are you worried about the Golden State Warriors no I'm not I mean this is their I guess they were kind of due a a tune-up series like this. This is probably the worst possible matchup for them in a lot of ways for a first-round series. They, I could see them basically dissecting six of the other teams mm-hmm. in the Western Conference playoffs if they had had them in the first round. Um, there's something almost like this is a local fight 
about it. I feel like these teams, even though the Clippers probably have had this so much turnover in the last few years, are at least organizationally familiar with each other on a very like atomic, subatomic level at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's something about this Clippers team and their diversity of looks that they can throw at the Warriors that I think was just always going to be supremely annoying. But there are alarm bells about their inability to step on the neck. Yeah, there's that. And there's also, I think, the the bigger concern about just getting up for the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of times you'll see coaches in particular go to this and it sounds just like a cliche. This is just what they say that we just didn't bring it tonight. You know, not enough defensive intensity, not sharp enough uh, in our execution. Uh, and I don't really know what it means from time to time. But in this certain specific situation, it does just feel like energy. It does just feel like the Warriors are thinking too far ahead and you can't really blame them because they've been in this situation plenty of times and they've just kind of won based on talent. Uh, But I think it's interesting when Steve Kerr gets out there and basically says, yes, uh, we've been fine on offense, though I do want to circle back to that. It's more of a defensive thing. It's Patrick Beverly complaining about flopping, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also about intensity. So he says this to reporters the other day. On Wednesday night, they played harder than we did. Schemes go out the window when a team plays harder than you. Schemes don't matter unless you compete. I think that's a big deal, especially when you look on the other side of the court and you have a team that's relentless. Yeah. That's their identity. And when you're talking about flopping, you're in Patrick Beverly's corner. Yeah. Like you, he you're has, playing his game. You're playing his game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's... The two big things I look at with the Clippers are, one, their ability to um, basically bring the Warriors down to their level you know, and get them involved in the kind of crap that they want to play. Not that they're not playing great basketball. This is basketball, but like, I can't believe how many times we've now seen Patrick Beverly essentially like rent out space in a dude's head in the playoffs. <laughs> right. And then you add that to which they've got a guy in Lou Williams who is just completely unbothered by the fact that he's playing this dynastic team and is just going to kind of keep them in and around eight points, six points, 10 points all the time. They mm-hmm. they they can't get those runs going because Lou is actually the the emergency break for the Clippers. Yeah. And as much as this probably is sort of some sort of uh, psychological warfare or one about energy and, and competition and, and all that sort of stuff, I do think Lou and Montrez Harrell have been mm-hmm. really bad matchups for where the Warriors are, uh, particularly in their front court where they're trying to start Andrew Bogut at center. And then Kavon Looney, who has played particularly well lately Mm -hmm. uh, and should be, in theory, a good matchup uh, against Harrell. Harrell just has that like perfect combination of of strength and burst and just like, I want to eat you alive. Like, I'm going to gnaw on your ankle as we're waiting for this free throw to go in. Uh, And Lou, just like, again, Clay Thompson probably should be guarding him more but even he had struggled like he struggled to stop Lou because of his combination of shiftiness and all this other stuff and it it reminds me of the Clippers this season have been uh, I think pretty public about how they have metrics or they just have this feeling that Lou and Trez were going to play well together Mm -hmm. that not only was it about our rotations and all this other stuff, like personality-wise, these guys fit and and that has matriculated to the core. Yeah, you think about it, they're the perfect yin and yang. Yeah. Harold is this like absolutely explosive emotional player who's gonna galvanize the team. And Lou is this ticking metronome who can always get you two and also like can slow the game down by getting to the line a lot. And it, it just does all these different things to keep things in touching distance. And that's that's the thing I just keep coming back to. These we've, we've watched so many of these games. I mean, the Sixers series was like this. Even the Thunder Blazers series, except for like, you know, you see these runs, these sort of enormous waves of points coming at you. And weirdly, the Warriors have had a hard time pulling that off, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways. You know what I mean? The 31 point, it's an outlier. But even on... Even on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whenever Game 5 was, I just felt like, man, they just cannot get away from these guys. Yeah, and so we've seen so often, especially since Kevin Durant has been there, the Warriors dictating like the terms of engagement. Mm-hmm. And in this series, it definitely seems like the Warriors are having to uh, adjust what they do in order to fit the Clippers, in mm-hmm. order to counter what the Clippers have. Uh, I, I mean, personally, like I would like to see less of Andrew Bogut and while I don't think DeMarcus Cousins would be much of a factor uh, he wants in the series, to go to death lineup. 
I think they need to play more depth lineup, and I definitely feel like they need someone they could turn to and get a bucket that isn't Kevin Durant. Like Steph kind of no showed that last game, and even Clay. I mean, uh, the the end of the game numbers are are good. They're it's twenty four six for six from the line, four for five from three. Four assists. It's not he. He didn't shoot them out of it. Seven for fifteen is a normal night for. It's a good night for most NBA players. Uh, he did not go supernova. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just a different kind of game when the, KD feels almost more like their Lou Williams in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like KD is more of a like we got to give the ball to Kevin and let him do something. And he was phenomenal down the stretch in that game, that last game. But there is a little bit of a break the offense kind of thing when you go to him. I think, I mean, I still think that that's the case. I mean, he's, he is a little bit outside of that flow offense sometimes. Yeah. And if anything, like not having that go into the post and really damage uh, the Clippers defense, I think it showed not having that boogie because you were counting on Kevin Durant to get to the rim and finish because there weren't any rim protectors waiting for him, but you still, they were still guarding him on the perimeter and keeping him from there. If you could just go into the blocks and get a bucket. Mm-hmm. I think this wouldn't be a series because the Clippers have found something, especially early, going to that Jermichael Green uh, and Danilo Gallinari front court, and just that's how they've kind of counterbalanced that. And so I, I guess it's becoming more of a matchups thing with the Warriors, and I'm not used to this happening in round one. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine Staples will probably be pretty jacked tonight for the Clippers game, but I think that the Warriors seem to, for some reason, currently like playing on the road seems to give them almost a weirder edge. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they almost seem to be playing like, well, like we're going to kind of embarrass you in front of your crowd thing. But when they're at Oracle, there's a little bit of a, we can just turn it on in the last six minutes and end this thing. Yeah. And, and they're returning to the site where, uh, you know, Draymond and KT first had their run in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how much that plays into a factor and just like, this is this is the one part of the season where they really found something, and as a result, they obviously clashed. But as a result of that, they kind of turned it on and had their best stretch once they got back on the same page. Yeah. Um, so we'll see there. But, I mean, Kevin Durant is, is a particularly interesting case because if we're thinking big picture here, we're constantly tracking not only Kevin Durant's mood and, like, what he's saying and sure. what he's saying about himself, but what does he think about this situation? Does anything change, you think, as he's going along especially as he's watching a Clippers team that is competing uh, and is filling around the few like frontline offensive players that they have, uh, not better than the Warriors, but they're doing a really good job of it. Yeah, you know what? I got to say, I, I, you know, Kev, Kevin O'Connor wrote a really good piece for The Ringer this week about the future of the Clippers and uh, it being a possible destination for Durant and Leonard. I just, to me, it's not like Kevin Durant's making a decision based on basketball. Mm-hmm. If if he's leaving the Warriors, it's not because he thinks that the Clippers are better than the Warriors. He's going to leave because <laughs> right. he wants to live in Los Angeles or he wants to live in New York or he wants to live wherever he wants to live. And he feels like that's like the best life and business opportunity for him because there is no better place to play basketball than Golden State. And it ha- that's been the case for almost 10 years now. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's a list of one. You get to play with two of the best guards in the history of the game. You get to play... In this, with this incredible coach who wants to like wants you to express yourself, and you are playing deep into the season every year. So why, why would you leave unless it was for non basketball reasons? Right, and especially if you're going to a Knicks situation where they are literally the the worst team in the league, and you lift them up. Sure, that fits the narrative. And Kevin made a pretty good case for like the Clippers being you know this punchline for for most of their existence and how. That would be a narrative in and of itself, but I personally think that he's it, it's done and dusted that he's going to New York if he leaves Golden State. Most likely, I guess I I just look at these series and I'm seeing these teams where it's it's based around one or two guys getting together outside of the Warriors and and just seeing some of the complications that come up. We've talked about this in the past, just the the, the idea of a collective versus mm-hmm. uh, a top heavy team and. Perhaps this series is all we need to answer that. The Warriors are most likely going to win this series unless something completely dramatic happens. Although it has happened in the past in certain NBA finals. Um, But I feel like if the Clippers get Kawhi and somebody, they have so much to surround them Mm -hmm. that this is already a really complete team. And I do wonder how much that's going to be a factor. Maybe it's just the fact that they're a really good regular season team and they can't compete in the playoffs. But I just think that the opportunity is there for the Clippers to 
vault pretty far. They have an intoxicating mix right now of talent and energy. I mean, I, watching that Brooklyn series with Philly, one thing you saw was that they were fun, but what they really did was play with a, t- a ton of of juice. Yeah. And they just didn't have the talent at the end of the day. Uh, the Clippers weirdly do have the talent, and yet they're playing like a team that got like, an, uh, they, their invitation like accidentally got sent to them to come to the playoffs. <laughs> right. So they're playing like they they're playing with foul money. Yeah. And... I think there's something to be said for the fact that every night that they play and they're the only game on and everybody's watching them, like everybody is like, man, the Clippers are next. You know, the Clippers are next season. That's going to be amazing. But they really do have to seal the deal and get one of those big guys. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's flip to the last series still left on the board. Last, (laughs) The one that I don't know if anybody knows is still going on because the NFL draft was happening yesterday. This is the kid that lives in the attic of the NBA playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was definitely watching, although uh, I was in the ringer offices and and the the boisterous sounds of of Mel Kiper Jr. just yeah. rattling off of my office the entire time, uh, as I was trying to really hone in on the pick and roll action. There's something of, sad about like 11 people guys. watching the draft and you just being like, guys, anybody watching the Nuggets? <laughs> I was Jamal Murray. And if you watched, uh-huh. you would have seen Nikola Jokic go off. Mm-hmm. That's our guy. 43 points, 12 rebounds, nine assists. Unfortunately, it did not matter. Yes, because the Spurs made pretty much every shot. Dan Devine wrote about this at TheRinger.com, and uh, Shea Serrano also chimed in on the Spurs, so go check those out. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this series anymore. Uh, I think the best way to talk about it going forward into this Game 7 on Sunday night, which is weird because I think Game 1 of Raptors Sixers is happening beforehand. Yeah. So just to show you how much of an afterthought this is I know. In, in the big conversation of the NBA, uh, but specifically about this game seven, who needs it the most? Like um, of all the people on these various sides, who needs this game seven in order for like, like which legacy team? or person le- like bulletproof legacy uh, Mike, Mike Malone needs this to work out. He definitely does. He doesn't. He's not in danger of losing his job. No, but it's, this is essentially a home series. Like these two teams were both excellent home teams and average to way below average away teams, mm-hmm. uh, road teams. So everything is like ever since the kind of little bit of wrinkle that we had in the beginning with Denver. I just feel like the home team has been definitively better. Now, I don't like the idea of Mike Malone versus Greg Popovich with 48 minutes. Right. And let's see what happens. But if Pop hasn't emptied the war chest by now, I can't imagine what he's pulling out in game seven. Mm-hmm. Although when you shoot 57% from the floor, perhaps there are some some tricks that yes. you're finding. And he, I, th- I think they shot some, they were at some incredible clip the first game mm-hmm. and they they shot like that yesterday. If it averages out, I just think that that the the Nuggets have the advantage here. It just seems like this is like whoever's home wins. Yeah, and I, I do think probably for that reason, because the Nuggets are the two seed, they probably are the ones that are. Uh, that oh, they're definitely feeling it because the, for the for the Spurs, you're like next year we have Murray, next year we have Walker, next year that's another year of Rosen DeRozan in our system. We can go out and we could maybe do some things. We'll be back next year. I could see them being like a four or five seed next year, you know, that yeah. pretty simply, pretty easily. Which is funny how quickly that narrative's like completely flipped. Yeah. But to the, I, I feel like the Spurs are like, we were just super competitive and you guys have to deal with that. The Nuggets, they, they orchestrated this to some extent to get this, this matchup and this side of the bracket and all the stuff that they did. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what you guys wanted. So you better get to the second round. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't help when the Nuggets uh, pretty much just mortgage, not the future, but at least this coming offseason when you're paying Will yeah. Barton all this money. Yeah, and you're, you're benching you're, him. You're, unload, you're benching him and you're unloading all these draft picks in order to pay Will Barton. This is their team. Yeah. There isn't so much more that they could do. I mean, Michael Porter is out there somewhere just like doing yogi and Pilates. No, you but. know, it's really interesting because I've been, you know, obviously, I and mean, we can get into the, to the post-mortem on, Oklahoma, Portland, but one of the really interesting conversation topics that's come out of that series that I think is also applicable to to this uh, Denver San Antonio series is this concept of continuity and sticking with what you've got and trying to like tinker a little bit, but ultimately develop the core that you have. And Denver's about to go into that. That's the that's the um, sort of path that they're about to be on mm-hmm. because this is it, right? Like unless they trade 
one of Gary, Jamal, or Jokic, which they will not do, they're going to be on this, this is our trio, and we're going to add and tweak and add the Mo Harklesses of the world and add the Will Bartons of the world when we can. But we go as far as this trio takes us, the same way that Portland's going as far as CJ and Dame takes them. And that's a fascinating place to be. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of variance to where you could see Denver in the next three years. You yeah. could see them at the two seed. You could see them in the eight seed. You know what I mean? I, I think that they will always be pretty good, but I think this is a bit of an outlier year because of Houston's slow start, because of the injuries that sort of afflicted some of these other teams. It, it's going to be fascinating to watch Denver over the next three or four years. Are they on the cusp of becoming a conference power? Or is this just like the upper end of their kind of like, we're going to swing between two and six over the next few seasons? Right. And then Millsap has a team option this summer. So things can fluctuate pretty quickly here. But you're right. I I don't know if I would think of them even as a top four team, especially if we're looking at some some Western Conference teams that could add some superstars. Well, we just got done talking about the Clippers and how drastically they could change their fortunes with this Mm offseason. And that is typically... For us as like writers and editors, the things that were more there's the shinier object is who's going to sign a Kawhi, who's going to sign a Kevin Durant, who's going to get in the mix. For somebody like that, it's less attractive for us to be like, what minor tactical adjustments or developmental things do does Denver have to do to like maintain their sort of grip on on the two seed next year? And it you know it's a fascinating conversation, but I think Denver's on their way, like Utah, like Oklahoma, like Portland is like this is who we are. And hopefully we would get like incrementally better, but a lot of this is about breaks one way or the other. Right. And I guess if there's any sort of silver lining to whatever happens here, this is their first playoff series. All of their main mm-hmm. guys are young. But for that reason, I do think if we're saying who needs this the most, I think it is Jokic and a 1B is Murray. Because regardless of what they're doing here, those are going to be their guys. Yeah. And Jokic, I feel like, has acquitted himself really well. I think... Early on, the Spurs found ways to kind of go at him. I think Derek White had that big 36-point game in large part because uh, Jokic wasn't there to shut the door on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were using White in order to get Jokic in space, and that's just not his forte. And he came back the next game, and I think it was overall uh, the Nuggets did a better job defensively, but you saw Jokic really getting after it. Mm-hmm. And I think just him trying like 10% more on defense, which is tough when you're scoring 40 something points and, and acting everything. as like basically the, like the fulcrum of the offense anyway. Yeah. Right. But he kind of went out there and he's been pretty good defensively yeah. ever since. Uh, but I do think it was telling when Malone said after the game yesterday, just like we couldn't take him off the floor. Like he paid, played 39 minutes, but they probably needed 48 from him. Sure. Uh, and I think immediately you're going toward Murray as kind of the prime candidate who you would probably uh, assert the blame on. Yeah. Just because he's that guy, and I still don't know what I'm getting from him game to game. Well, they're playing him like he's uh, Steph. Yeah. And he might be Clay. Do you know what I mean? Like, he might be a more of an, and that would be a dream scenario for either one of those situations, (laughs) which Jamal Murray would be quite happy with. But I just mean, like, they play him like, he is our primary scoring perimeter scorer and the, the guy we're looking for every time we go down the court. But he might be better as an off-ball kind of two-way player who's really, really good at shooting and can just t- and, and just is like completely reliable when he gets an open look. Yeah. So okay, so the Blazers are waiting. Who do we want in that matchup against them? I think Blazers Nuggets is is for the people. Like I love this. Like I, I have like nothing but a, you know respect for the Spurs, but mm-hmm. that. I think Nuggets Portland feels incredibly like let's get high and watch some Western Conference playoffs. <laughs> you know, like it's it just it just feels like Portland and Denver belong together in that way, and yeah. and I just think it would be a great uh, showcase for two teams that we don't usually see this deep into the postseason. Two like uh, the Portland crowd is just like astonishing, and I think it would just have like a fun vibe to it. Just a huge boom for the pop business. Yeah, exactly. We're, I'm really pulling for the pot business. <laughs> the scrap, <laughs> scrappy young upstarts. <laughs> yeah, I think the Blazers want it to be the Nuggets. 
Uh-huh. Because when you get pop into that situation, I think there's ways to carve up the Blazers. And as we have found out since the Blazers, there's a lot down- of like narrative for like Lamarcus going back to Portland and stuff like that. But I just think that that's like after you say Lamarcus is coming back to Portland, that's about as dramatic as it gets. <laughs> right. Well, I'm more worried about the fact that Ennis Cantor apparently like dislocated something yeah. in that last game. And it was ready for like a lot of Zach Collins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And jumping around after Dame hit that shot. Like, yeah. Probably wasn't the best idea. But like, yeah, you, the center rotation is is pretty much exposed at this point and so i do wonder like if pop has blood in the water all of a sudden like what's going to happen maybe it's spurs warriors in the in the western conference finals which in 2019 i'm like just where are we now um all right let's take a quick break and we're going to talk about russ and some of these round two series today's episode of the ringer nba show is brought to you by state farm players and fans prepare all year for the playoffs They need to be ready for anything. With a State Farm agent on your team, you can be ready for anything too. They can help you prepare for whatever life throws your way. Barrier, uh, I feel like Russell Westbrook might need to prepare to be on vacation now. Where do you think he wants to go on vacation this year? You think he was prepared to go this this early? Uh, No, but uh, he probably wants to go somewhere warm. Yeah. On a nice beach. He has his kids. They want to be able to play in the sand. Yeah. Isolated, probably. (laughs) Away from uh, probing press conference questions. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you prepare for the unexpected. State Farm, here to help life go right. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Turo. Turo is a peer-to-peer car sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Turo is available in over 5,500 cities across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Germany with over 9 million users worldwide. Choose the best car for you, often at a lower cost than traditional car rental agencies, and customize your experience for whatever your adventure demands. Turo has over 850 unique makes and models available, including Tesla, Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Ferrari, Subaru, Toyota, and more. Whether it's a truck to help you on moving day, a swishy sports car for a luxurious weekend getaway, or a vintage van for a picture-perfect road trip, Turo lets you find the perfect vehicle for your next adventure. Turo has more than 350,000 vehicles listed globally, and many hosts offer to deliver the car right to you. Insurance options are available on every trip. Skip the rental counter with Turo. Download the Turo app. That's T-U-R-O on the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use promo code RINGER at checkout. Terms apply. Today's episode is also brought to you by NHTSA. It could be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you could feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the track. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it could take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal, and what used to be you, well, better not to think about it. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop, even if it sees you. The result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about Round two in a little bit here. Uh, we're going to play a little Guess the Narrative, which is an old favorite of ours. Uh, but we're first going to talk about the biggest lightning rod of the NBA and specifically of this first round, Russell Westbrook. Uh, so the Thunder, if you haven't been paying attention, are no longer with us. Uh, <laughs> Dame waved goodbye uh, in game five with the shot from 37 feet, I think it was, which is insane. Uh, Paul George did not think it was a good shot, but Clearly, it was effective. Uh, I think it opens up the conversation about where Russ is in this moment. Uh, he wasn't particularly good. He had the stats. He ended up with 23, 11, and 9, 11 assists, 9 rebounds, which actually isn't all that great compared to where he is uh, in, in most years and particularly in recent playoffs. In the elimination Durant. game? No, this is specifically oh, in, in, in his, his averages. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he shot 36% from the floor. 32% from three, 89% from the free throw line. Uh, a big number here is just he, he shot only five free throws a game, which mm-hmm. was really weird considering 
how often he is berserker driving into the the paint. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I, I'd probably have to go back and watch, but I, I wonder how much he got into a duel with Lillard and tried to like show him up, show him up and prove that he could shoot threes. Sure. Uh, but we're now in a situation here where since Kevin Durant has left, the Thunder have been out in the first round each time, even mm-hmm. during Russell Westbrook's uh, MVP season. And now with Paul George flanking him, now George clearly wasn't right in the series, but it's opening up this conversation about where Russ is. I, my initial reaction after Lillard hit that shot was it's impossible to defend Russ now. Even if you are a big Russ stan, uh-huh. you are fighting a losing battle. Well, let's just say off the top that uh, Russ is not a basketball player. He's a political issue. So like, yeah. there, we have now like moved into the territory where like Russell Westbrook is like almost, a, you know, he's a Rorschach test or something like he's not even he's not even like oh let's have like a rational conversation about whether or not he should have taken eight threes instead of 11 you know that night or something Mm -hmm. like that or um you know there's just everything kind of rolls together to create this character that I think the people who love him are just going to be like you don't you don't understand this or you don't understand that or what do you expect him to do and the people who hate him are just like they can point to any number of things including his behavior during press conferences and be like, this guy's just a dick and mm-hmm. he doesn't get it and he's not a winning player and he alienated Kevin Durant and now he's going to alienate Paul George and he's out of his prime and he can't jump anymore and yada, yada, yada. And I honestly, at this point, it's kind of fog of war where it's like, I just like Russell Westbrook, like watching Russell Westbrook play basketball, but I don't necessarily even have like the equipment to argue on his behalf anymore. And maybe that means that I've lost, you know what I mean? That's what, what it means when, if you don't have, there's no defense really. Mm-hmm. Like you can just be like, I don't really know. Maybe he's just, maybe this is the ceiling for this team. And it's always been the ceiling. And we respect teams like San Antonio or Portland or whoever for being competitive year in, year out. But for some reason, like him not having a ring is this like huge indictment on the entire Oklahoma city project. Mm-hmm. He didn't trade Harden. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to say to people. Like, Durant left. He didn't want to live in Oklahoma City anymore. Russ got married and Durant got bored. Like, that, that, that is literally, like, apparently what happens, you know? Like, in all of our lives. In all of our <laughs> lives. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I guess, like, this has just been such like, an incredible week because he can't stop himself from being himself. He's just always going to be the dude who rocks the baby. But, you know, you can't. You can be Pat Beverly and do that and be like a footnote, but you can't you can't be an MVP caliber player and do that and not back it up. And you you got to win those games. Yeah, I, my take on this whole thing is it's not necessarily a Russell Westbrook the person conversation anymore. Although like his theatrics and particularly like turning that into a Lillard versus me one on one like mano a mano duel is yeah. his fault. And like if anything, he just like made Dame want to go at him. Even it was harder. also just like I think that that was unfortunate. You know, it, I thought it was interesting that Kerr weighed in on it. Um, on his post game behavior, I just he's not Sarah Sanders. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like he decided not to. He doesn't do good interviews. We could have like an hour long conversation about the usefulness of post game scrums and post game press conferences, <laughs> and the amount of availability these guys do or don't have to give. Um, but yeah, like let's talk about him. Let's talk about him like sort of as as we have it. Well, I, I think it's more of a, a question of value mm-hmm. and like. I, to a certain extent, this is how we always talk about him, that he doesn't live up to his convert, uh, to his contract. But I do think it has less to do with uh, his preening and the press conference stuff and like who he is as, as a person and like whether or not he's willing to defer. I think his game is fine. I think it isn't what it used to be. Uh, but I still think like those those kamikaze drives have have a certain effect. I think like he when he wants to, I think he is a good passer. I think that he helps on the boards, which is really effective with a team like the Thunder, who isn't going to hit a lot of outside shots. I, I just think, like, for me, this was a clear example of, like, the value of someone like Dame who could shoot from anywhere. Yeah. And the fact that Russ can't shoot at all yes. is just, it has such a trickle-down effect. Russ and, is a first three-quarters player. Like, Russ's energy coming out of the gates is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Russ is capable of scoring 10 straight in the third quarter. But when, for whatever reason like whether you want to call it like field of dreams magic or whether you want to just be like, here's tactically what happens at the end of games, it falls apart. And it falls apart primarily because he stops trusting his teammates, I think. And whether or not teams scheme for that and they're like, we're going to let Westbrook beat us and we think that if we 
show him enough open looks from three, he's never going to be able to resist it. Uh, it just is like if Paul George is scoring 36, I don't care if Paul George is in the huddle saying, I feel like my arm is going to fall off. I'm so tired. I can't shoot. I, you you take us down the road. Like you've got to give Paul George the ball. And this is the same thing people were shouting back when Durant was there. It's like you've got to give Durant the ball down the, down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, it's such a tactical disadvantage yeah. to, to have to go to Russ in those situations. I find myself as like even amidst this conversation that we're having now, but it, in general this week, almost like finding Russ to be a pretty sympathetic figure because I also don't think the roster around both him and George is is really optimized to take advantage of that particular combination. Sure. Like they do not have three-point shooters and as we saw in this series, Stephen Adams just wasn't who he has been in the past. And I think they found something late going to Jeremy Grant more at the five and he was stretching the floor a little bit, hitting some three-pointers, but they just do not have the wing depth to fill out around there. And so to a certain extent, it's funny that we're talking about Sam Presti is like, well, maybe the Lakers should go after like a big horse like him because he like he just knows what he's doing. I think Presti has done a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of getting the specific player to unlock first the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook era, and now this one, it just hasn't worked out. And if we're throwing in more caveats, like Paul George was hurt. I yeah. know we've said this a million times, but this was a Paul George team. And Russ, we should give some credit for deferring and being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if you're building a team, first of all, like getting Paul George there was probably as much to do with Russ than anybody else. Well, especially him staying. He literally said in his exit interview, like I'm here because of my relationship with Russell Westbrook. So that is, that is in and of itself proof that this core is, I mean, there is no Paul George there without Russell Westbrook. You're exactly right. I mean, this is not because Paul George either loved Oklahoma City so much that he decided to stay or he was like, you know, it's just really fascinating to see how they tinker with Terrence Ferguson and <laughs> and Nerlens Noel. It was, yeah. He stayed because he was like, I love Russ. And you can you could see, especially when things are going well over the course of the season, the way he talks about Russ is like a deity. He's like, yeah, he like this is the dude that I would follow into a burning building. So you you got to understand somewhat what like that 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 kind of effect that has on people. I I this feels a lot like Iverson to me. Mm. I mean in a, in a lot of different ways. Um but mostly in that it's like the identity of a team is wrapped up in a player that the player will make or break the team's fortunes, that the local fan base is essentially obsessed with that player. And no matter what the national media thinks of like their pluses or minuses, it, they will never hear that. So I think that this is pretty much it. This is pretty much what we're going to see. And like, honestly, like they're not going to trade Paul George, even if Paul George were to turn around and demand a trade, I don't think they would trade him. Um, so it's really, it's like, can they find a buyer for Adams if they're going to tinker with this team? Which I think maybe. that they probably think that a healthy version of this team is the three seed. Yeah, I bet. And and they looked like that team at times mm-hmm. when Paul George was at his best. But they've got to figure out a way to get those guys healthy for the end of the year because I feel like one of the stories of Oklahoma City over the last seven years is that one of their main players is hurt going into the playoffs. Yeah. Whether it's Ibaka, whether it's Westbrook, whether it's Durant, whether it's Paul George, like whoever it is, I just feel like they're always like, oh man, if we just had all of our guys together. And you know, if you're the Spurs and nobody cares really nationally, you can go in and out of like, the consciousness by being like that year Tony Parker tore his thigh we just weren't that good right. and it's like you can come back the next year and do it again yeah. but this this is like a thing where like Russell Westbrook makes Oklahoma a national concern yeah and I, I, I kind of agree that what they have isn't all that bad now I think they have some work to do this offseason uh, Dennis Schroeder is in there and he has a big contract they have a lot of money on their books so they're trying to to maneuver with their hands tied Um but getting Schroeder in there last offseason was kind of a stroke of genius. Schroeder was really good in this last game. Right. Uh, and I do think while we can attribute a lot of Paul George's struggles to the injury, he did shoot way above his head. So I, I don't know. I feel like a top four seed isn't out of the realm of possibility. I think everyone wants to just like throw this team under the bus and say that they're done. I still think there's something there, but I do feel like Russ in particular has like, He's reached a crossroads moment. If he's not going to be able to shoot even just league average, 
like yeah. we might be in this situation again, regardless of how they do in the regular season. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how they what the the next permutation of his game is. I don't know what the. I mean, I heard. I think it was Zach and Kevin were talking about like could Russ find the Jason Kidd three pointer later in his career? Sure, but Jason Kidd was always more of a control freak. You know what I mean? Jason Kidd dictated tempo. Jason Kidd dictated was so conscientious about like this guy gets the ball, this guy gets the ball, which isn't to say that Russ isn't. I think if you actually watch the first three quarters of Thunder games, he's pretty good about distributing, about making sure guys are getting touches, about getting it down to Adams and make sure he's not bored. But it's the it's the late third and fourth quarters where he just kind of goes, sees red. And that's the problem. Right, yeah. If you want to live off of his chaos, you have to be able to like, it's almost a moot point. There are I don't think that there are going to be many more buyers for like Blake Griffin type contracts. Do you know what I mean? Like I Russell Westbrook is going to be making 40 some million dollars a year in two seasons. Like I just don't know what club out there is like yeah, like we have nothing else going for us. Let's do this. Like you know, I I just don't know who would what would you trade for Russell, Russell Westbrook? Would you trade Russ and other well, Russ for John Wall and Bradley Beal? You try, no, that actually doesn't work. No, I mean, wise, but uh, for John Wall and other stuff. No, no, hmm. no, because you'd break the heart of the people who actually go to the arena to do that. Would you trade and and John Wall, <laughs> who I also love, has some serious health problems. <laughs> well, it'd be more about like getting off of Russ forever. But you'd just be getting back into John Wall. I mean, okay, there would be no yeah, point. That's not that great. Uh, would you trade Russ for Blake Griffin? No. I might do that one. Would you? I think for both sides. Really? I think it's interesting. I think, so Blake and Paul George? Yeah. Play a little little point forward. Schroeder, Blake, Paul George. That's exactly where they are now. <laughs> That's exactly where they are now. It could be. Yeah. I think they'd be better. <laughs> I think like if you need that stretch four, and who, that matchup Can nightmare. you think of a single team out there who'd be like, man, we really want Steven Adams? <laughs> no, because he's still making a max. I mean, he's a center when it comes down to it. And they're just like, you look at Yusuf Nurkic. He's playing, he, before his injury, he was playing like 27 minutes a game. Yeah. And I think that's a fine player on a good contract. But when you're paying someone the max, I just don't know who wants that on their books. What about Donovan? Mitchell? No, Billy Because <laughs> I definitely do not want Donovan Mitchell, but that's a separate com- uh, conversation. Um, I mean, in the past, the Thunder wrote out like pretty much all of the concerns about their coaches. So I doubt that they get rid of him. I think they they would probably benefit from having a new voice in that situation, someone who can probably um, deploy some of those guys in a little bit of a, a more creative way tactically. Yeah. At the same time, it comes down to who can speak to Russ. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I mean, Kevin Ollie needs a job, and he spent some time early in the Oklahoma City like sure. first days there, so he probably knows him. I know like he's often been tied to Kevin Durant more than than Russ. Right. I don't know. Like, who can speak to Russell Westbrook? It's like, it's like two I, people it, in the world. I, I, and one the, of them is probably the saddest part about it probably is that this was, the, weirdly, this was the season because this was the side of the bracket that Oklahoma would want. Because they, 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 the path was right there to go to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Um, but instead, <laughs> they're going fishing. Yeah. <laughs> they are going fishing. Paul George, quite literally. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's look ahead to round two briefly. Two of those series are still kind of up in the air here. Uh, we're going to play a little predict the narrative, which is pretty much what it sounds like. We're going to predict what people are going to be talking about with this series. Um, let's start with the Raptors and the Sixers. I think this one is really easy. I do too. But I wonder what if we have two really easy ones that are different. Why don't you go first? Uh, Nick Nurse is coaching Brett Brown out of a job. Yeah. I think it's pretty much like all of the, the stories we were ready to have or the conversations. The, with Atkinson and Brown? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have those now. Uh, and I also think in addition to Brown, we're going to start looking at Elton Brand and wondering why the entire Sixers organization like is, is going to crumble because Mike Scott might not be able to play. Right. Yeah. It's just they don't have the depth and Brown hasn't shown uh, a flair for the creativity. I think this series is going to be a bar fight and I think it's going to be really physical and really defensive and I think it's going to be incredible. Like, I really am so happy. I think the Eastern Conference semifinals, this is as good as I can even ever remember them being. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for these. If they're two gentlemen sweeps, I'm going to, like, really be (laughs) upset. But Embiid versus Gasol, uh, 
Jimmy and Ben versus Kawhi and Siakam. Like, I know all the numbers about Kawhi destroys Ben and and all this stuff. But, like, I think this is going to be a really exciting series. But when you get into the, the third or fourth layer of basketball and you start finding that adjustment that just kills a team, like, if Nick Nurse finds that and Brett Brown doesn't, there's going to be blame. You know, there is going to be blame. Yeah, it's a completely different style matchup. Here and you, t- you talk about Elton. And yes, if the entire Sixer season rests on Mike Scott's possibly damaged body, like that's tough. But Elton's counter would be very easily like, I gave you every tool that a coach could want. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't know what to do with them. I guess. I just like, I look out there and there's just like four centers getting in the mix. You have Gregor Monroe getting out there when you can easily just go a little bit smaller, but you just don't have the wings in order to make that work because uh, as Jonathan Charks wrote recently, like going small is as much about yeah, your is, wing depth Sixers, as it is your center. Sixers Twitter is is very much in agree, agreement with you yeah. that the the Markeith Morrises and the Rodney Magruders and all the guys and Wesley Matthews <laughs> and maybe maybe those guys would have had their own issues on the Sixers, but the kind of way that the roster was managed down the very home stretch, where I think everybody thought that there was going to be some really creative, smart veteran pickups to head into the postseason. And there really wasn't. And I, I think that, you know, he obviously unlocked something against Brooklyn, but I think talent went out there. This is going to be an incredible clash. This is going to be an amazing clash. I mean, Nick Nurse might play JJ off the floor. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I just feel like there could be like a couple of different things here that really throw Philly for a loop. That being said, I think it's a six or seven game series. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because even though the depth isn't there, you look at the numbers on that starting five and they're absolutely incredible. Yeah. I looked right before we we recorded and their net rating from the first round was like 62.2, the Sixers starting five. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some of that's probably inflated because they blew out the uh, the Nets in that last game. But before that, I think it was still... Those like guys didn't 40s. even play the second half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? uh, small sample, all that. But like clearly what they have in that five works... I think uh, once again, JJ is a, a, an interesting sub, like point, a person to point out here. Uh, I think he has a more favorable matchup here because he's probably going to be guarding Danny Green mm-hmm. more often, and they play similarly. God, uh, those guys are going to be so tired. They're just all they're going to be doing is running through nineteen screens with one another. I know uh, they're just gonna be, like pulling each other. Like, dude, do you just want to like just stand in the corner on this one? <laughs> you think they'll do a crossover podcast? <laughs> Two, two of our favorite uh, radio personalities. Do they still call it radio these no. days? What do we call it? Like, I guess like audio. Audio? Yeah. All right. That's cool. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the other East series here, the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, I find this one pretty fascinating. Uh, probably outside of Rockets and what we're expecting to be Warriors, I think this is the best series on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's starting on Sunday. Or I think it's the early game on is game one. What do you think narrative-wise? I think it's going to be, this is, to, to me, this one's all on the Bucks. Hmm. The Celtics have had such an up and down season and are also under the kind of, um, the glare of like, well, this could be Kyrie's last season with them. And, you know, they, 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 it was a year of getting Hayward back together and they've had so much chemistry problems and everything else. I mean, they're, they're they, this, this is, this is their, their, their shot to really upset a team. Um, it's going to be another crucial coaching matchup. I think it's going to be a very exciting coaching matchup, but this is one where Bud has had issues later in the playoffs. Um, And I think it'll be a fascinating matchup, but ultimately I just think the best player on the best team in the NBA should win this second round series. And that's Giannis. Yeah. I think it's either going to be Giannis not living up to the moment or Kyrie freaking out because the Celtics didn't live up to the moment in his eyes. I think, which is pretty much what we've been saying about these teams for for months now. Yeah. I think it's a pretty fascinating matchup because I think the Celtics have the players win healthy in order to take advantage of of this Bucks lineup. Um, oddly enough, uh, this is going to be the most boring thing about it. So not guessing the narrative, but it's probably going to come down to like how Aaron Baines and Brooke Lopez factor into everything. Yeah, because I do think like the the Celtics can go small. But then you're hoping that some of their wing types, the Jalen Browns, are going to be able to guard Giannis. Yeah. And I just don't know if that's going to work. And because on the other end... So will Horford take Giannis to start with, you think? Well, it depends on how healthy Baines is. Mm-hmm. I think that you could see Baines, Horford standing up well against uh, Brooke and, and Giannis. But on the other hand, like 
size-wise and body-wise, I think it, it's a good matchup. I think Baines could do some work. But if, if Giannis has a full head of steam going against any of these guys, yeah. I think it's not going to yeah. work out. Um, and then if you try to go small, then, yeah, you're a little bit more versatile, but you're hoping to outshoot them. And the Bucks, as we've seen, have all these giant shooters. Yeah. If they if Brook Lopez like if his like kind of lawnmower like footwork isn't working, uh, they could just maybe try Nikola Mirotic. Yeah, and they have a few of these guys. Ersan Ilyasova, who hasn't been particularly good, but I think like he can give you a game like he had uh, last year for the Sixers. So uh, I think it's interesting. I, I think we're gonna have a big conversation about Kyrie or a big conversation about Giannis. Mm-hmm. Is what I'd say. Um, Rockets Warriors. Let's just say I think that one's kind of obvious. Like yeah, I would just say that. I my spidey sense is really going off about how how much stock rocket stock people are buying. You're not a, you're not a believer. It's not that I'm not a believer. I just don't like how much people are like the Rockets really want Golden State in the second round. Right? They can't wait. This whole like I, what I really really want to have happen is for the Clippers to win Game Six so that we can experience this weird like Rockets in the mist thing <laughs> right. that, that that is supposed to be happening. <laughs> Apparently, Tim McMahon tweeted out. If the Clippers win game six, the Rockets will stay in San Francisco and practice their Sunday. If the Clips pull off a stunning upset in game seven, the Rockets will just head home to Houston and get ready for game one. But I love, like, are they going to the game? <laughs> and if not, what are they doing? Yeah. Like, and also, like, wouldn't it be cool if the Rockets just chose, like, the geographic equidistant point between Los Angeles and Oakland and we're like we're just gonna we're just gonna be right here in the Central Valley mm-hmm. you know maybe we'll drop by Big Sur for a second but <laughs> ultimately we're gonna just taste some wines do some olive oil tastings and then we'll just go north or south wherever it winds up being you know like yeah Clint Capella gets them an Airbnb <laughs> but I just love this idea that they're just like the Rockets could just be like in the nosebleeds right. at Oracle <laughs> just hanging around yeah. the city going to catch a Giants game um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of narrative, it's just pretty much can the Rockets do it this time? Like, I'm a believer, by the way. I, I know you are. Yeah, I know. I just like if Harden like sees those guys out and they're like, what are you doing here? It's just <laughs> like, well, I just had a couple, couple meetings. Okay. You know, I'm really, I'm really interested in getting into, into tech and mm-hmm. I just thought I'd drop by. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like, I, I, I know that I, I, I know all the reasons why this is the year for the Rockets. I know all the reasons why that they wanted them in the second round. And I respect the fact that they're just basically like, this is who we want. We want to prove that last year we deserved it. You know what I mean? Um, but I, there's something about this that I'm like, if you think the Warriors need motivation, <laughs> this is it. This is the motivating thing. Uh, I think the Rockets are going to win that one. Uh, okay, last one here. Trailblazers versus Nuggets Spurs. Uh, for me, this is all about Dame. Mm-hmm. This is Dame's moment. This has been Dame's playoff. I do think the Cantor being hurt would be a thing. Sure. I do think, I think, I think having it be the Myers Leonard, Zach Collins show the entirety of the, of the series would, would be a problem. So you think this is going to be the Zach Collins playoffs by the end of this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he'll he'll probably call someone a bad name at some point and we'll probably talk about it. Sure. So so that will be fun. Yeah. You can probably, uh, we'll talk about that next week. That's that's what we'll do. All right. uh, That's it for us this week. Uh, For Chris, for Bobby Wagner, uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.